Without further ado, we get a sweet brother going to come to share with us tonight. His name, Robert Ravellas. Let's welcome Big Rob. Come on. Thank you, Josh. How you guys doing? I will be in John 14, and then I will also be in 1 John 5. Um... Would you guys pray with me? Father, I just, uh, I just thank you so much, Lord, that you, that you do love us, Lord, that you did save us, Lord, that you did come and sacrifice yourself for us, Lord. And Father, I just ask that uh, my words would glorify you, Lord, and I would, and the words would be your words and not mine, Lord, that everybody would forget my words, but they would only remember yours. I pray that you would give him ears to hear, Lord. I thank you so much, Lord, and I love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. Some of your translations might say keep, but I like the word obey. Um, when you hear commandments... The first thing you think of is the Ten Commandments, but those aren't the only commands, commandments Jesus is speaking of. Um, a commandment is just a command or a mandate. There are other things in the Bible that Jesus is commanding you to do. First uh, Timothy 2.15, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, is a command. Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord, Always, and again I say rejoice, is a command. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything, is a command. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 20, therefore go and make disciples of nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey my commands that I have given you, is a command. Um, I'm not here to give you a bunch of rules, but I want to make you aware of these other commands. The thing that I want to focus on is he says, if you love me, obey my commands. He doesn't say, if you fear me, obey my commands. Um, That really got me thinking of why do I obey, who do I obey, and why do I obey them? And I think um, we all obey our bosses, but... We do that out of fear. It's not out of love. Um, the only people that I could think of that I obey that I love are my parents. And it's not under the, um, it's not under the flag of, uh, under the commandment, uh, honor your mother and father, because I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I, was, I was taught to obey in a different way. I was taught to obey out of fear of correction. Um, you know, when you're a kid and you're, your parents slap you on the hand for, for not um, going where you need to go or not to touch something. Then you kind of graduate to being spanked for, to keep you from going places you shouldn't go. And then as you get older, it becomes taking things away from you, like the car or the phone or the computer and, um, and so on. But I think that there just comes a point when you realize all those things they're doing is because they love you. And I think we need to realize that with God also. But you might say to me, Robert, 
what God asks of me is too hard. And when, when I think of somebody in the Bible that was asked to do something hard, I think of, I think of Abraham. Abraham um, waited 100 years for his son Isaac. And um, in Genesis 22, 2, God says to him, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to Mount Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountain in which I will show you. And he goes. He goes, and his son is carrying the knife and the fire to basically be sacrificed. And he goes, and he takes him, and he's got him there, ready to sacrifice him. And at the last minute, in verse 22, the, the angel, an angel says, Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know you truly fear God. You have no... You have not withheld even your son, your only son. And um, I want to ask, would you be able to go that far for God? Would you be able to go that far out of fear? Would you be able to go that far just out of love for God? God is going to command you to do a lot of hard things. But if you love him, you will do whatever he commands you to do. There comes a time when you just, there comes a time when reading your Bible, you do that because you love God, not because you fear God. There comes a time when you don't worry about anything, but you bring it to God because you know he's going to take care of it and he loves you, not because you fear correction. There comes a time when you do not sin because you love God and you do not fear correction, there comes a time when you do whatever God asks of you because you love Him, not because you fear correction. In 1 John 5, starting in verse 3, John speaking, Loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments aren't burdensome. Reading your Bible, praying, serving God, obeying God should not be burdensome. True love for God is obedience for God. That means when He asks you to do, when He commands you to do something, you should do it without hesitation, without complaint. You should just do it because you love God for who He is and what He's done for you. So let's be a people that are obedient just because we love our God. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, I just, uh, I just thank you so much, Lord. I thank you that you do love us, Lord. I thank you that we get to obey you, Lord. I thank you that you, you won't ask too much, Lord, that it will be hard, but it won't be too much. I thank you for these people, Lord, and I pray that they would just be obedient in love, Lord, and not in fear. I thank you so much, Lord, and I love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 It's a, that's a pretty amazing thing, huh? Um, I, I think that's a, that's a fair question to ask. 
Jesus asked it many times, do you love me? Even asked Peter, do you love me? Uh, many people say that they're a friend of God. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus says, you can only be my homeboy if you obey my commands. Yeah. He says, I, if you obey my commands, you can be my friend. I will call you friend. Um, there are many people walking around, you know, who, I don't know what it is. There might just not be any love for the Lord. And if you feel like there isn't love for the Lord in your heart, I think the problem is, is you don't recognize and understand his grace and his mercy and his goodness. Because one glimpse of God's mercy and grace, you're done. I mean, it's over. You come in contact with the living God and you see who he is, whew, it's over, man. People say, I tried Christianity and it didn't work. Uh, there's no such thing as trying. Um, you come in contact with God, you're done. I mean, it's just your life is forever changed. Um, I like what Rob said. What if God came to you and said, uh, you're going to have a son. I promise you. You're going to have a son. But he didn't tell you how long. And it's 100 years before you have a baby. What? You're probably getting up in your 60s, 70s. You're like, man, there's no way I'm having a kid. It's over for me. Right? Right? No, not this one. He said, trust me. He said, through your seed, through your boy, all nations will be blessed. Through your boy, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the seashore. There will be so many, you won't even be able to count them. Here's Abraham at 90 years old. God, I'm 90. I am 90. Are you sure about this? God says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. We know Abraham did jump the gun, and God still blessed him. And then after finally getting his son after 100 years, isn't that crazy? God says, now give me your son. Nah, I ain't going to give you my son. You gave him to me. And I waited 100 years. I ain't giving this up. No, what did Abraham say? Son, come here. We're going up to the mountain to worship. We're going up to worship. They get up to that mountain. Dad, but there's no, there's, there's no sacrifice. What are we doing up here? And the King James, I love the way it phrases it. It says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Himself a sacrifice. Himself a sacrifice. God will provide him. God was the sacrifice, wasn't he? Jesus was. Mm. Sweet words, Rob. Thank you so much for blessing us. We get to look into the book of Zechariah tonight. If you have your Bibles, where is that found? Right there, but go to the middle of the Bible and uh, right towards the New Testament and start to turn to the left. It, go to Matthew and just start turning left. Just a few pages. Like, like You probably have to turn about five or six pages and you're there. Zechariah. Zechariah, we have been mowing through the minor prophets, huh? Man, pounding through. You guys were so happy, you know, when finally the last time I taught two books in a row. Yeah, I know, I know. What did I teach? Zephaniah and Haggai last week? 
Wasn't Haggai a great book, though? Yeah, it's so cool. I was so blessed. What is it about, Josh? If you weren't here, it's about the people coming out of Babylon. They'd been just set free after 70 years of slavery, and they were told to do what? To rebuild the temple. Remember what they did? They didn't rebuild the temple, did they? They worked on it for one year and started building their own houses. We talked about building God's temple and building our own. Which one we should be building all the days of our lives? Well, Zechariah, he's, he's kind of in the same position. He's in the same time period as Haggai. He's, just, he's come out with them, just out of slavery, just out of bondage. And um, I'm just going to kind of read this background to you that I printed off from a commentary. Just listen to a couple paragraphs here. Uh, the year was about 520 B.C. The Jews had just returned from a 70-year captivity and when they were held, where they were held hostage in Babylon, Zerubbabel, their political leader, and Joshua, their spiritual overseer, had led the first contingent uh, of approximately 42,000 back from Babylon to Jerusalem. So about 42,000 people. Upon their arrival, they set out to rebuild the temple. Yet although they began well, after a year, they'd given up on the project. Facing intimidation by their enemies and division with their own ranks, they opted to build their own houses instead. Remember, we studied that last week with Haggai. So the Lord sent two prophets to spark their passion, to reunite their devotion, to jumpstart their conviction. Uh, what do you mean it's not time to do the Lord's work, Haggai asked. Haggai was a very uh, pointed and practical kind of prophet whose message consisted only uh, 38 verses. Yeah, it's true. And Zechariah, however, uh, he's much different is a different flavor and personality. Speaking with visionary imagery, he goes on not 38 verses, but 14 chapters, and he calls the people to consider the vastness of God's program. And so that is uh, Zechariah. That's what we look at in the book. We're actually skipping nine chapters. We're, we're jumping to chapter nine today um, because I was supposed to teach chapter three last week, but we would have skipped two books, um, Zephaniah and Haggai, and so I had to teach those books so we could at least touch in them. And then here in Zechariah, I'll try to give, uh, I'm just going to give a slight overview, a very slight overview um, of what happens and who this guy is. But this book uh, consists of quite a bit of prophecy, quite a bit of vision and imagery, which is difficult for a preacher and a Bible teacher to uh, interpret and teach because it's just, it's so much it's so much information that could be interpreted so many different ways. And um, we have a lot of uh, pastors in this day who are very dogmatic about the things of prophecy and, um, and the things that the Word is saying. But at the same time, um, I'm kind of scared to go there. I'm scared to put my finger completely on it and say, this is what it means, this is what it's saying. Because it's so, um, well, it's so mystical. I mean, it's very difficult to put your finger on exactly what a prophet is trying to say. Um, when he's saying it, and especially when he's painting this picture of something you've never even heard of. And so um, there are some places that we can really put our finger on and see what's happening here um, regarding Jesus Christ and his first coming, and then the Lord and his second coming as well, we will see tonight. Um, but what we see in the first eight chapters is um, a little bit of an exhortation to repentance, and then we see vision. This vision's given for like eight chapters. I mean, vision after vision after vision after vision after vision. Has anybody ever had a vision? Man, um, you know, it's... it's uh, 
I remember one vision I had. Um, I believe it was a vision in Mexico. When I was there in Mexico. I was living there for four months, and I was sitting out in the middle of the night. I had walked out with the Lord, and um, there was this chair under this tree in this specific spot. And as I looked out, there's nothing but fields. I mean, it's just nothing but grass and just hills that just roll. And on the horizon, this is what happened. I was just looking off in the distance. It's out in the middle of nowhere. There's no one there. There's no cars. There's no people. There's no. It's just we're out in the middle of nowhere. And I was looking out there, and I felt the Lord speak. You're going to be, I mean, you may say, Josh, is so generic, you know, but I just felt the Lord speak, and I even journaled it. I wish I could read you the entry, but... He says, you're going to be a great light to the world. You're going to be a bright light, and it's just going to pierce through and just smash people. And Not not in that phraseology that I use, but something along those lines. And this is what happened as the Lord is speaking this to me in the pitch blackness of this night. All of a sudden, in that moment, as soon as God speaks to me, off in the distance, you see the, a small light. And I believe it was a car of some type, but all of a sudden, it just boom, it just starts coming. I'm like sitting there watching this. And as the thing comes closer and closer, it gets brighter and brighter. And it just starts to beam, I mean, through all the darkness and just starts to smash through everything that was out there. I mean, nothing could stop it. And God ministered to me in a powerful way there in that moment about the ministry that he's had for me and what I'm supposed to do. And um, I've had people tell me, you know, the the sayings of Joshua, even the man in the Old Testament, um, where it says in the first chapter to be strong and courageous and that God will give you everywhere you place your feet, anywhere you want to go, anything that you want to do, that God will hand it over to you. And, um, and I've, I've believed it in my heart. It's kind of been a secret that I've always kept. Um, but I've just chosen to walk in it. I just look at a territory and I just believe that God's going to give it to me and I just go for it. And I just believe it's going to happen and I'm just going to go for it. And um, God has been faithful. He really has. And it's a vision that's been given to my life. And... Um, I don't know what God has in the future, but I do know um, that I'm going to keep pursuing him in that way, just to know that um, it, I'm not a flashlight that kind of flickers. Um, God's just given me this, I don't know what it is. He's just given it to me. I can't help it. It's just in me. It's what I do. You know, I don't know how to do anything else. I just get up here and just, bam, you know, and that's what happens. And, and uh, as long as God keeps uh, supplying it within me to burn in my bones, I will keep preaching at that level and keep... Um, you know, taking ground for the kingdom wherever I go. But that was a vision that the Lord gave to me and ministered to me. And he's given me many dreams to radically change the direction of my life. Um, I remember waking up one time. I, I wished that that dream did not happen. Um, I was so scared to death that it did happen that when I woke up, I was even praying like, God, please, I hope that didn't happen. I hope that didn't happen. I hope that didn't happen. And in that moment, when I, when I came to my senses and I realized I was just dreaming, I, I repented there in the moment and said I will never go in that direction. And that was it, boom. Radical change in my life right there through a dream. And I believe that God does still do those things today and he still moves and operates in people's lives. You may say, Josh, sounds a little crazy. Hey, it's in the Bible, man. It happened. Zachariah's got eight visions here. Probably doesn't even know what they mean when he's getting them. He's like, what is this? Can't even believe this is happening. I remember my buddy Reynolds telling me this crazy vision when he was out in uh I'll tell you this and then we'll move on. Um, when I was in Mexico again, he looked up. He, he said he was out there taking a walk with the Lord. He looked up 
on on the lines of this, I don't know if there was a telephone pole or what it was out there, some kind of electricity that was going to the small town there in that area. Um, and he saw a group of birds like come and land on this thing, just a ton of them. And they would jump up and they would like fly around. And they would come back down. God started speaking to him in powerful ways. That he journaled about it. And he went off on this crazy tangent about it. We're just like, you're crazy, man. You're crazy. Like, what are you even talking about? Doesn't even make sense. How does it even work? Where are you pulling that from? But the very vision that he had, it, it, it was of gathering people together and creating unity. As the birds, they would go off one at a time, and then all of a sudden they would gather back, and he would bring them back. And he just watched them. You know, you'd see one get away, and then they'd come back, one get away. And it, it was this picture of just gathering people together to minister to one another. So what did he do as soon as he got home from Mexico? He started bringing people together and just allowed them to minister to one, one another. He baptized 15 people that week. Um, as God ministered and allowed the Holy Spirit to move in a powerful way. And what has he done? He's established something like seven house churches back in Georgia. He's like 26 years old, where he, he just gathers the people together in a house, allows them to minister to one another, and then gets out of there and moves to the next place. And that's what he's been doing. Now he's a pastor there in Atlanta and uh, downtown and doing great things for the kingdom, um, taking crazy ground for the kingdom. God speaks like that today. Don't ever let anyone put you down um, by the things that maybe God is speaking to you in your life. Um, the best way that you, to know whether or not your vision is from God is to align it with his word. If you see a contradiction from his word, something evil or wicked or something that's just not lining up with God's word, it's probably not from God and it's probably something you should not pursue and go in that direction. But hey, if it's a part of what God's doing, it seems like it's going to be a blessing, it seems like it's the word of the Lord, then in Jesus' name, Step forth and allow God to speak to you in that way. Hey, he spoke to Zechariah in that day. Zechariah, his name means, I love this, the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. Do you think God forgets things? Of course not. But isn't that just a great phrase? The Lord remembers. The Lord remembers his people, doesn't he? The Lord remembers you. He always remembers you. He always remembers you. Even if you forget him, he remembers you every single day. He's thinking about you, huh? His thoughts towards you are more than all the sand on the seashore. You got to do that every time you go to the beach. I love it, man. When I'm laying there after I surf, I just lay down on the beach, taking a nap. Lord starts speaking to me. I love just grabbing a handful of sand. Like, how many thoughts is that? It's a lot of thoughts, Lord. Really, this many? You try to like even count like a little pinch. You know, it's like, how much is this? God remembers you. He thinks about you. The Lord remembers. Zechariah, he was a priest. He was familiar with the things of God. He served in the synagogue, per se. He was a part of great things that were happening. And a part of a great council of possibly scholars say something about 120 men that came together to minister in a big synagogue in that day. And um, he obviously was in slavery with them, but released out. He comes on the scene and has a word for these people and starts speaking these crazy visions. And he's prophesying about great things of the future. And so what we're going to be able to see tonight is attributes of God that are sweet and wonderful. We're going to see Jesus tonight um, in his first coming to the earth. And we will see his second coming as well when he establishes his kingdom on this earth. 
So we have a couple things to look at. Let's go before the Lord before we dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you'd bless us as we look at Zechariah chapter 9. Oh God, that you give me wisdom to speak forth your truth and that many would receive and many would be blessed. And so please, uh, please show us your word. Uh, Speak to every heart. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Zechariah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Are you there? Only 17 verses. Isn't that amazing? Right? Are you guys excited about that? I covered like two books the last few weeks, you know? You'd think the people would be cheering. No, but they're actually more excited because we get to dive in a little bit, huh? Zechariah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord. Mm. The burden of the word of the Lord in the land of Hadrach and Damascus shall be the rest thereof when the eyes of man as of all the tribes of Israel shall be toward the Lord. That's right. They shall be at rest when they shall be toward the Lord. When the burden of the word of the Lord comes, they will be at rest because they will turn to the Lord. And um, Acts 3.19, you know the verse, Repent therefore that times of refreshing may come in the presence of God. One of the greatest verses. Everyone needs to memorize that. Why? Because when your life isn't refreshed and your life isn't at rest, you probably need to repent. <laughs> Majority of the time, there's something wrong. There's something going on inside. You're worrying. You're anxious for something, aren't you? You're, you're, you're depressed about something that you shouldn't be thinking about you once again. You're in sin or you've committed sin and you've caused issues for your own life and your own situation. It's your fault. Repent, always repent, always repent, therefore, that you may receive rest. Always turn towards the Lord. Do you know what repent means? It doesn't mean to stop sinning in a certain department. Look, it is very difficult to stop sinning in any department for the rest of your entire life. Has anyone truly repented? Anyone in here? Has anyone repented so much so that you have never sinned ever again? No. And so the definition of repentance is something else. It doesn't mean you stop sinning. It means that you turn towards God. You seek God. Look, the more that you seek God, the more that sin will fall off your life. And you will sin less and less in any department of your life. And so, brothers, if you, if you struggle with lust, when you struggle, you need to repent. Where? Do you repent and say, God, I will never do this again? You fool. You will struggle with lust all the days of your life. Understand that. It is what is in your veins. Girls, you will struggle with insecurity all the days of your life. It is in you. We both have things that we struggle with. And so what do you need to do always is repent to God. You need to turn towards God. And that sin, that repenting of sin will actually start to fall off your life. It will. It will. And that's what it means to turn towards the Lord and to be at rest. Many times you will never be at rest because you do not turn towards the Lord. Hey, turning towards the Lord is a great thing, isn't it? Is it ever a bummer to turn towards God? Gosh, of course not. It's such a blessing always. And so in any situation, what if you're in a time of mourning? You're just bummed out. What is it time to do? It's time to turn towards the Lord, huh? Always. It's it's really been... um, the thing within my own heart, within my own life in these days is I've been trying to teach myself to be a man that just repents every day. That's what I just do. Every day I just repent. Because 
even if I have a good day with the Lord and no, no tangible sin that I can see in my own life, um, by the next day, I'm a wretch again, and I'm about to mess up the whole day, so I need to turn to God again. And I've got to keep doing that every day. I don't trust myself, okay? I don't think I have it together. Um, anytime I, I see that I have it together, I, I fall. And that's why it says, uh, yes, take heed lest you fall. Um, always to be on guard. Um, never to think yourself as higher as you are, and never to think of yourself greater or in the right direction. Don't do that. Don't say because I didn't sin or I can't see the sin this week in my life that I'm doing good. Don't do it. You're, you're, you're really setting yourself up just to just mess up. Always be in desperation for God. Always. Always be looking for sin that you can take care of and move forward and out of your life and towards God. Shall be toward the Lord. I like that, Israel. And verse 2. And Hamath also shall border thereby, and Tyrus... And Zidon, uh, thou, though it be very wise. And Tyrus did build her a stronghold and heap up silver uh, as the dust and fine gold and the myrrh of the streets. These cities, I'm not going to go into and describe who they were and what they were doing. But it says, behold, the Lord will smite, will cast her out and will smite her power in the sea. And she shall be devoured with fire. These cities will be knocked out. We wiped off. Hey, when God says something's going to happen, it's probably going to happen, huh? Yeah, no joke. It's, it's going to happen in your life. Um, when God says, I discipline those that I love, it's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, you, you do something wrong. Oh, I can get away with this. No, you can't. God will discipline you. Um, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to reap what I sow in this one because I got away with it and nobody found out. No, you will. You will. Um, it's amazing how sin works on two levels. Um, spiritually and physically. If you sin in the physical, you're going to reap it as well. Uh, it may not be now, but it will be soon. Um, it always works out that way. And the same thing spiritually. When you sin, you mess up your relationship with God. And you, 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 you start breaking the bridge. You start smashing the relationship every time. And uh, when you're in sin, it's difficult to come to God, huh? It's hard to talk to Him. Uh, but you've got to smash down those walls. And you always got to be turning towards the Lord. Um, when God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And when he says he's going to provide for you, it's going to happen, isn't it? Do you believe that? Do you have faith in that? Then why are you worrying? Don't worry. For God has said he's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you all the days of your life. And uh, when bad things happen, um, like the other day, I'd lost my Bible and my journal. Can you believe it? I can't. It actually happened. Yeah, I'd left it. I was baptizing people on Sunday. And um, after baptism, I'd left my Bible there um, close to the the baptismal, and I went into change, and I came out, and I just completely forgot. I'd left it there, and I walked away. And as I was in my car, and I was looking for my Bible to go to church uh, later on that night, I'm like, oh, no, I lost it. But instantly, I don't know why, it's like this reaction inside of me. I just said, no, I guess the Lord knows. I guess it's gone, you know, and, and I get to get a new Bible and a new journal. And um, hopefully somebody will be blessed by it. And, and, and my heart was content there in that moment. And, and I've recognized this over and over I'm going through a situation with my car right now uh, because a lady smashed into the back of me and I'm trying to figure out uh, what to do with estimates and appraisals and trying to get the right place to do the right job and all these things. And the lady called me the other day and, and kind of gave me some bad news and I was just bummed for about two seconds. I said, well, I guess the Lord knows. You know, It's, it's kind of like I've, so many bad things have happened in life 
and you just keep seeing the Lord work through it, that eventually, if you just keep trusting God and keep pressing through, you get to a point where you just say, you know what, God knows. And uh, he's sovereign, he's in control. He knew it was going to happen, and he even placed it into place, man. It's not like he's all surprised, like, oh my gosh, did the lady called you and said that? Are you serious? <laughs> he's not thinking that. You know, when you go to him in prayer, he's like, oh my God, angels, can you believe that? Do you hear what's going on over here? He's, he's, he's not thinking that. Uh, he's got it under control. And God says that these nations are going to be wiped out because they've messed with Israel. And uh, when God says he's going to protect his people, what does that mean? Uh, he's going to protect his people. That's what it means. Yes, it's very clear. And uh, there are many nations that think they will knock down Israel and wipe them off the face of the earth, huh? But what happens to every nation that has ever come in contact with Israel? They get wiped out, huh? Look at the Romans. Where are they? Look at the Greeks. Where are they? Look at the Babylonians. Where are they? Look at the Philistines. Where are they? All these civilizations are gone. You'll even look at Germany. Um, was completely just backhanded and struck down. Um, any nation that chooses to rise up against Israel will be struck down uh, because God says that he'll protect his nation, he'll protect his country. And so if God says what he means and means what he says, uh, I think that it's going to happen. And here in this time, Zechariah prophesied that these nations would be wiped out. And it did happen. Look at verse 5. Ashkelon shall see it and fear, and Gaza also shall see it, and be very sorrowful, and Ekron, for her expectation shall be ashamed, and the king shall perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon shall not be inhabited. Well, who does this? What happens? Check this out. About 150 years after this was said, there's a man by the name of who? Alexander the Great, who rises up. And what did he do? started wiping these nations off the face of the earth. Amazing. Just like God had said it. And one of the scholars was saying, one of the Bible scholars was saying, that they were wiped off the face of the earth in the order that it is said here in this text. As God said it, so it was done. Interesting. When God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen, huh? Nobody can stop him. And he will make it happen by whatever means. He will use somebody by the name of Alexander the Great to take over the world. But it's interesting uh, what happened when he came into uh, Jerusalem? I'll explain that in just a second uh, after I finish this. But um, all nations were wiped out except Israel. Once again, um, verse six it says, "And a bastard shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of the Philistines." It says, "I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. Cut it off completely." Um. It's interesting that God uses the word pride there to describe. He doesn't say, I'm going to cut off the violence. I'm going to cut off the wickedness of the Philistines. He says, I'm going to cut off the pride of these people. God hates the proud, right? He says it very clearly in the word that he hates the proud, uh, but shows grace to the humble. Uh, God hates pride with all of his heart. Why? Because pride always exalts self. It's an opposite of humility. It is the most wicked thing that we as people have in us. To always think about us. To always put ourselves first. To put ourselves above others. It's amazing. The further you get from God, the more you'll think about yourself. The more that you think, in, the closer you get to God, the less you'll think about you. Because his kingdom preaches something completely backwards than what the world teaches, huh? It says that 
the, the, the first will be last and the last will be first. If you want to be first in the kingdom, you've got to be last. You, huh? You need to be the servant of all, Jesus said. You need to get, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Huh? You need to be humble. God desires a broken and humble spirit before him. Not a pride and proud spirit. Uh uh-uh. He knocks down the pride of the Philistines. And it definitely did happen. He completely ripped it from them. But he did take it and use it for his good and use it for his glory. And I'm telling you, if there's pride within you in a situation, the best thing that you could do is ask someone else to help you to see what that pride is. One of the best things you could ever do in your life is to have some, ask someone who's close to you, what pride do you see in me? What things do you see that I can't see, that everyone else knows about me, but I don't know? Um, what are the things that are stopping me from becoming a godly man or a godly woman? That's a scary question to ask, huh? It's not easy. But it is what is needed in order to become that person that God desires you to be. Is it not refreshing afterwards? Is it a bummer? Like, during? I'm sure it is. It's like, oh man, I can't believe this is happening. But afterwards, it's such a blessing, isn't it? I lived with uh, Christian Laundry in uh, Israel for three months, and uh, we lived side by side. One of my sweetest brothers, a holy man, that's for sure. He was definitely uh, set apart before God. I watched his life closely. Not me. Uh, he called me out and rebuked me. I even got to read one of the rebukes he gave me the other day. I was, uh, it was awesome. I was debating with the lady that we were living with about being kosher and eating different foods. I felt like I was in, you know, Galatia or something, you know, battling with the Galatians, you know, about circumcision and, and keeping the law and whether or not a Jew should eat, you know, you know, different foods. And, and we were going off and I just started getting so irritated. And, uh, and she would get louder and call me out, and I would get louder and call her out, and we just were going at it. I mean, it was kind of under control. <laughs> I was just, I mean, I was so irritated because she wasn't getting my point, and I wasn't getting her point, and we were just going back and forth. And, um, and the relationship's fine and all, but it's just, it, it, was, it was a terrible, a terrible um, picture, illustration, um, it was it was the worst example I could have ever been um, to that woman. And Nancy, she's the sweetest lady. She took us in and she let us live there, and she did all kinds of things. And I'm sitting here calling her out, you know, because she wants us to eat kosher, and she wants us to, you know, keep the keep the feasts and keep Shabbat and all these things. And I'm telling her we've been free from the law. You're free to keep it if you want to, and I'm free to keep it if I want to. But we're free, man. You, Jesus took care of all that, man. He lived it all perfectly for us, so we don't have to live like that. All we got to do is love God and love people. Those are the two greatest commands. That's what we're called to do. And um, my buddy Christian, he pulls me aside. He says, Josh, I have one word for you. In the coffee shop, he looks at me. I read this in my journal two days ago. He looks me in the face and says, if you're rude, you're wrong. He said, you were rude to Nancy the other night, and you're wrong. Even though I know you were right biblically, you were absolutely wrong. And I was cut to the heart in a moment. Cut to the heart. I was rebuked and convicted and changed in that moment. And uh, pride stopped me from being humble, didn't it? I had to make my point. I had to say my case. Pride. Arrogance. But when I got back from Israel after living with Christian for three months, 
He emailed me and I emailed him. He emailed me saying, Josh, what are the things that you see in me that I need to change? You live close to me, side by side with me. What would you like to see changed? It's like, okay, bam, wrote it all back to him and just, just dropped him. But I also sent back. Christian, what do you see in me that needs to be changed? You know me. You live with me. You bunked with me every day for three months. You know what the problems are. What is it? He sends the email back, and I proceed to read it, and one after another, I look at it, and I'm just like, nah, that's not me. <laughs> nope. Uh, nope, that's not it either. No, that's not me. I mean, he's, he's not even missing, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm building all this pride and arrogance. As I'm reading the email, I'm sitting there thinking like, no, no, he's missing it completely. He, doesn't, he must not even know me. He must not even know who I am because I would never do these kind of things. You know, like, I don't, I don't do this. What was it? It was pride blinding me, wasn't it? I couldn't even see my own. I couldn't see my own sin. And that's what always happens with pride. That's why God hates it so much. Because it blinds his people from seeing the truth. They don't even see how gracious and wonderful God is. They don't even see the sin that they're living in and walking in. The best way. That's why confession is so powerful. And that's why rebuke is such a blessing. A wise man loves rebuke, Proverbs says. You should love it with all of your heart. Pride will destroy you, just as it destroyed the Philistines. The pride of the Philistines was knocked down by Alexander the Great. Yes, come in in a powerful way. But it says, verse 7, he takes it even a step further. He says, I will take away his blood out of his mouth and his abominations from between his teeth. What is this talking about? This is talking about the blood in his mouth is the sacrifice to idols. They would go... And they would sacrifice meat to idols. Number one, what are they doing with idols? You shall have no other gods before me. The Lord says clearly. They're, they're having idols and they're sacrificing meat to it. And they're eating the meat. He says, I'm going to take this blood out of your mouth. Your abominations between your teeth. But he that remaineth, even he shall be for God. And he shall be a govern, a governor in Judah. And Ekron as a Jebusite. And so God did. He, what he did is he, he had him slaughter many, but few were saved. God always saves a remnant. He always has a, a, a small group of people that he always holds on to that would simply turn to him. Look at verse 8. And I will encamp about mine house because of the army. Did you hear that? He will camp around what house? His house, verse 8. Because of the army, because of him that passeth by, and because of him that returneth. And no oppressor shall pass through them any more, for now I have seen with mine eyes. This is killer. This is huge. Watch this. It says what? God says, I will encamp about my house. Okay, so he's going to protect his people, right? Who was, who was running around dominating the earth at that day? Alexander the Great, right? Walking around with his staff about to kill everybody. What did he do? He did exactly what this says right here. It says, Because of him that passeth by, and because of him that returneth, and no oppressor shall pass through them any more. He says this. Alexander the Great, I don't know if you know, but if you want to travel uh, down to the Mediterranean, if you want to travel through the Mediterranean Sea, you can, ship is very difficult, especially back in that day. You would just walk down through Israel, walk down through Jerusalem, and then you go along the Mediterranean all the way down into Egypt to conquer down there. Guess what Alexander did? He walked right through the nation. And when he got to Jerusalem, you know what he did? 
history tells us that he actually sacrificed there in Jerusalem and paid alms to the Jews. Interesting. This powerful man. He continues down through, conquers down in Egypt and down in Africa and those areas, then makes his way back up through Israel and does not touch them. Why? Why? I know why. It says it right here. Because God says, I will encamp about my house because of the army. God says, I protect my people. No one comes into my house. No one. And God did protect his people. And he always will protect his people. Look, because the economy is bad, you don't have to worry. Because God will protect his people. What if I lose everything? Who cares? Naked I came and naked I'm going to go. You ever seen a U-Haul truck strapped to a hearse? No. Because you can't take anything with you. It all stays here. You don't need it. We don't need it. I was, I've always wanted to have a big family. And um, I, always, I worry sometimes about that. I find myself thinking like, Lord, if the economy, should I move out of this country? You know, move to a place that's going to prosper. Look at, watch the economy and watch the numbers and the way that things are happening. The, the dollar is really strong in England, you know, like what, what, like what should, what should I do? And I've heard the Lord say many times to me, I'm going to take care of you wherever I send you. Wherever you are, you will always be taken care of. Your family will never go hungry. You will never be without need. You will never have need. You will always be taken care of. And, um, it's true. You don't have to worry. God's people will be taken care of. He's promised it to you. Might you be homeless? Sure. Jesus was. Paul the Apostle was. Walked around from place to place, but God took care of him, didn't he? Um, you don't have to worry. Um, God has your life in his hands. That's the safest place to be, huh? You're his slave. He takes care of his people. You're his servant. It's, it's greater to be a slave in the house of God than to be the king of a nation, huh? Absolutely. In the house of God, there is no greater place to be but there. And so, that's what happens with Alexander, and that's the prophecy that was given there, and some great things that we can pull away with. But look at verse 9, a change in direction with this word that's coming from Zechariah. The Lord remembers. All of a sudden here, verse 9, look, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Where's Zion? In Jerusalem. Mountain in Jerusalem. Daughter of Jerusalem, get ready. It says, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Who is this? Get ready. Your king is coming. He is just, and he has what? Salvation. Yes, he does. And he is what? Lowly. Riding upon an ass and upon a colt. Yes, the foil of an ass, it says in the King James Version. And um, this is exactly what happened, isn't it? He comes as a king. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He leaves his kingdom in heaven to come down to this kingdom here on earth. And he rides in on what? A donkey. Isn't that amazing? Hey, if you were the king of the whole universe, how would you come in? How would you make your entry? How would you let everyone know that you were the one? Uh, a donkey? I mean, like, I mean a, a tortoise would be better you know, than, a, than a donkey. 
I mean, donkeys are so obnoxious and they smell and they're ugly and they just, you know, they, they're good for nothing but just hauling stuff and working. I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they're the dirt of the animal kingdom, you know? I mean, is there anything worse than a donkey? Um, I, you know? It's like a hyena or something like that, you know? They're just like, or baboon or something, you know? It's like the, these, these animals are not looked upon as like these precious, amazing, powerful animals. Um, he chooses a donkey. Isn't that amazing? Zechariah, look at, he's prophesying about it. Who would have known that the king of kings would have rode it on a donkey? Anybody? Anybody? What if we were back in Zechariah's time, sitting around a table, and, and we've heard the prophet speak that the, the Messiah is coming, the one who's going to save us. He's coming. He's coming to take over, and politically, man, he's going to take over and dominate, and man, we're going to reign with him, and it's going to be great. How do you think he's going to come in? You know what? I think, you know, I think it's going to be crazy supernatural. Like, he might come in on the clouds, you know, he might... You might just like, you know, drop from the sky and just like, there's going to be this big music and like angels all around him and all this stuff going on. It's, it's going to be crazy. Or maybe, you know, it's, he's going to be, you know, coming in on, on the back of thousands of men, you know, stacked up. They have this giant altar stacked up on their backs that they, you know, usher themselves in and the king sits on the top of this giant, you know, chair, throne. No, it wasn't even close to that, huh? He's like, uh, hey guys, um, hey boys, disciples, can you go get uh, a used uh, donkey uh, down the road? Don't go, don't buy it. Just go ask the man if you can borrow it, and uh, let's use that. Just go get that, and uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come into Jerusalem that way. I mean, what? I mean, he could have, he walked on water. I mean, he he could have just snapped a Clydesdale, you know, into existence right there. You know, he could have, he he could have. He could have got an elephant, you know. He could have rode in on a lion or something, you know. Like just taint. Wouldn't that have been so cool? Rides in on a lion. Everybody's like, what the, man? This is crazy. They've probably never even seen a lion before in Israel. Yeah, right. They, he rides in on this thing, this big mane, you know. It's just like growling and everything. No, no. He gets the stupid donkey. And he rides in on this thing. God is so good. What's your preference of entry? What would you have chosen? Man, I would have my Rolls Royce, my Bentley, and I'm cruising in. Duh. I know. Maybe a jet or a plane, fly by. I want, you know, I want to jump out of the plane. I'm going to parachute down so everybody can see me. Yeah, I know. I know. I know what you guys are thinking. Some of you girls want to come in on a carriage, you know, with horses and flowers everywhere. I know you. Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good, huh? Yeah, I know you. No, but not our king. Not our king. He could have came in on something. I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted, and he chose to go the route that the lowest man, that even the poorest man might never take. A donkey would never be... I could, I could even see a homeless man. Would he ride in on a donkey? No, he'd be like, no, I, I'd rather walk in. Just let me walk. I'm not going to be humiliated by this donkey. It says here that he is just, huh? He is just. He's perfect. He's just. He's right all the time. Has there ever come a time when you're right and God's wrong? Oh, no. 
Oh, no. That means that every time he speaks, you're wrong and he's right. You need to receive it. You need to accept it and apply it to your life and yell, yay and amen, God. I hear your voice and you're right and I'm always wrong. I'm not going to try to justify it and make excuses why I shouldn't do something. I hear you, Lord. Enough playing games. He is just. He is the king. And he is the one to be blessed and served. It says that he has what? Salvation. Who would have known that this king that rides in on it? Look, look, look at the combination here. Isn't this great? A king who is just, who has salvation, is coming on a donkey. Huh? There's something wrong here, it seems like. like this doesn't make sense. If, if, if I was a prophet trying to make up a cool story, I, wouldn't, I would just leave out that donkey thing at the end, you know? This is why God's prophecy is so powerful. And we know that Daniel chapter 9 actually prophesies to the exact day, 783 years, I believe it is, before it happens. To the very day is prophesied when he will ride in on a donkey. The prophecies of God are so amazing and so true. It's nothing to mess around with. He has salvation in his pocket, doesn't he? He's coming in with a robe of salvation to put on you. Look at this. Many people say, even the Jews will say, many will say, Jesus wasn't supposed to die. What, are you talking? what is he doing? You know, he came in here and he got killed. It's like he's supposed to be the king. Yeah, exactly. James, he's supposed to be the king. He's supposed to reign. Look at this. It says he has salvation. Now, the Jews would say the salvation would be saving us from all the wars and saving us from, hey, all the wicked things that are happening in our nation. That's not what he's talking about, huh? The salvation he's talking about is saving them spiritually. And that's a greater need than any. Who cares if our, if our nation is saved? What if we go to hell when we die? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? I mean, who cares? Jesus comes bearing salvation. It was told. It was told hundreds of years before it even happened. It says that he would be lowly. Huh? Have you ever seen a lowly king? Ever put those two words together? A humble king? A king who is low and poor? Doesn't have much? Doesn't sound like a king to me. But he is the king of kings. He had everything, but he laid it aside to live a great example for us and then gave it all up so that he could bring salvation to us. It's awesome. Isn't this a great verse right here in the middle of the Bible? Probably never seen it before, huh? Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, right there. You should circle that, highlight, underline. It's a blessing. But then they change it up. All of a sudden, verse 10 starts talking about the second coming of Christ. Randomly, changes up. It says, And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. As for thee, by the blood of thy covenant... By the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. It says that peace and prosperity will come where there will be no wars anymore. That a time will come when Jesus, the king, he comes to this earth 
And he creates peace and prosperity for all men. Yeah, that day is coming, if you didn't know. Just as Jesus was prophesied and said that he would come here through Zechariah back in that day, we are prophesying to say that Jesus Christ will come in this day. He will return. He will return for his bride and for his people. And there will be peace. And it says that it's done by what? By the blood of thy covenant. Do you see that? It's twofold there, meaning, I think. Um, we have Abraham, a covenant that was made way back in the day. God and Abraham had a covenant made that God would bless these people and protect them and bring peace and prosperity to them. But we also see that by the blood of Jesus, by this covenant, the new covenant, um, we are saved from the pit where there is no water. We are been taken out of the hole. We will not be in hell forever. Isn't that a blessing? You're not going to hell when you die. If you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Master of your life. Look at verse 12. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Oh, I like that. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto you. He calls them prisoners of hope. Isn't that great? <laughs> it's like, I, because I made a covenant with you, you're going to be a prisoner of hope. You're going to be enslaved to hope all the days of your life. How do you like that? You slave to hope. That's what you get. You know, it's like, huh? That's a blessing, man. Heck yeah, I'll be a slave to hope all the days of my life. You better believe it. Why? Because of his covenant that he's made with us. A slave to hope. And he says you will render double blessing upon these people. Mm, double. Single is enough, huh? Lord, are you going to do double scoop? Man, that's a blessing. Thrifties? Oh, man, Lord. Chocolate chip? Oh, praise you, Father. Cookie dough? Okay, I love you. Yep. God's good, man. Isn't that great? Hey, hey, he not only set you free, he not only set you free from hell and forgave you and gave you heaven, right? You get your first scoop. Then he says, I'm going to give you life in that abundantly here on this earth. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. Oh, God, you're so good. Oh, God, I give you all the ice cream back. I give it all back to you. You can have it all. I don't deserve any of it. I give you all of my life. And that's why I've given my life to God. Because he's been so good to me. No one else on this earth has been that good to me. No one. And so I will give my life to no one but him. Verse 13. When I have bent Judah for me, filled the bow with Ephraim and raised up thy sons, O Zion, against the sons of Greece and made thee as the sword of a mighty man. And the Lord shall be seen over them and his arrow shall go forth as lightning. You want to see God's attack? How does he attack with an arrow? Like a lightning bolt. It's how fast. Could you see people like trying to aim guns at God? God, we're going to get you. It's like, just, just stop that. We don't, you don't, please, just stop. It's, it's ridiculous that people would shake their fist at the living God. And the Lord God shall blow the trumpet and shall go with whirlwinds of the south. And the Lord of hosts shall defend them. And they shall devour and subdue with sling stones. And they shall drink and make noise as through wine. And they shall be filled like the bowels and as the corners of the altar. What happened? Let me explain it to you. This is what happened. Alexander the Great. Remember the guy we were talking about at the beginning? Well, he ended up dying, and there was somebody by the name of 
Antichus Epiphanes, yes. This wicked man rises up and takes Alexander the Great's position, but what does he do? He's ticked at the Jews. He's the mo- one of the most wicked men to ever walk the earth. He's like an antichrist. He's so wicked. He hates the Jews. So he starts killing them off, just killing them off, just trying to get them out once again, just like many civilizations have tried to do with the Jews. Try to kill them all. Guess what happens? There's a small group of people called the Maccabees who rise up powerfully with slings and stones and somehow defeat this man and all of his armies, and God prevails them. Yeah, it's recorded in history. You can go read about it. Once again, the Lord prophesies powerfully. Look at verse 16, and we'll close with this. The Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be as the stones of a crown. Wow. Lifted up as an ensign upon his hand, ensign upon his hand. For how great is his goodness. How great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new wine the maids. I just want to break that down. The Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. Hey, if a shepherd takes care of his sheep when the wolves come, how much more will your God take care of you when they come? Is there anyone who can rise up against you? Is there anyone who can harm the children of God? What will they do to me? Kill me for my faith? Ooh. What will they do? They cannot take my salvation from me. When you've been sealed with Christ, you have salvation. It's like somebody trying to take your name from you. Can they do that? Can't take your name. They tell you, forget your name. Forget it. I'm going to beat you until you forget it. It's like, I can never forget it, man. I'm sealed. And I live in Christ, and I will always live in Christ. Because, hey, you can destroy me here on this earth, but I will reign forever in heaven. Forever and ever. No one can stop me. Because the Lord God is my God. I am his people. I am his sheep. And he is my God. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. For they shall be as stones of the crown. Did you hear that? Stones of a crown. That's a great picture. God looks at you as a beautiful gem. You say, Josh, I don't feel beautiful. God thinks you're the most beautiful person on the earth. He loves you. He cherishes you. He cares about you. He thinks about you. If all forsake you and all do not love you, if you still have the living God loving you, you have everything. You have everything. But I feel lonely. Your God will be there to comfort you. He is rest and peace. He is the Prince of Peace. You go to Him in your time of need. You cry out to Him. Let Him minister to you. You are His stone and His crown. You are the inseen upon his hand, O oh man. You are so precious to God. I think that the people of God don't recognize it many times. The enemy comes in, you think that God's mad at you. Every time you think God's mad at you, go look at the cross. Go to the cross. It says God demonstrated his love towards you. That while you were a sinner, he sent his son to die for you. He killed his own son. Isaiah 53 says that God smote his son. 
He smote his own son for you. If you don't think God loves you, there is definitely something wrong. You've got to wake up. You need to realize how precious you are to the king. And I wrote next to this last verse a song because it sounds like perfect lyrics. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Oh man, I'd love to shout that and chant it. Is it not true? How great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. And there will come a time when we will behold that greatness and behold that beauty. Yes, the day is near. It's soon, very soon. Well, how soon, Josh? Well, I don't know exactly. But hey, um, you think 10 years is a long time. You think 20 or 30 years is a long time. You think even 70 years is a long time. But compared to eternity, like how, how, how big is that? Like if eternity is this big, how much is 70 years? Uh, I can't even see it. Um, like, oh, there you are. There you are over there, cute little 70 years. You think that this life, uh, it's really not much time. Uh, we don't have much time. And so that means there's no time to waste. That means we've got to be a people who love our God and bless Him with all of our hearts, all of our days, moment by moment, second by second. I remember a, an illustration of a certain amount of seconds that you have in every single day. It's a bank called time. You have a bank account full of minutes every single day. And once you do not spend those seconds, those minutes, they will be gone forever. And the account is empty and you can never spend them again. And it is true that the clock is ticking for every single one of our souls. The clock is ticking for every single one of our lives. And once God says your time is up, that's it, huh? You never get another chance. And so tonight, if you're in sin, tonight, if you're not repented towards God in some way, shape, or form, tonight, if you're worrying and not trusting your God, tonight, if God is speaking to you to minister to someone, to pray for someone, to encourage, to reach out, tonight, if God is calling you close to himself and you choose to refuse, you're wasting your time. And so let us pray and offer ourselves to God. Let us pray and offer all that we are to him. For he deserves it. Let's bless our God. Father. Lord, do you hear us? Lord, look, your people. Here we are. We're here in this coffee shop. And we come with hearts bowed to you. You are the great and mighty king of the universe. You set the great example of humility. Help us to be people who are humble. You set the greatest example of what it means to walk close to God and to love on people. We pray for that in our own lives. And God, we, your servants, come to you asking, what can we do for you? How can we serve you in our lives? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to minister to? Lord, we give you our lives completely. We don't want to be these halfway Christians. We submit ourselves wholly to you. And we repent of the wicked lifestyles that we live again in this moment. We turn to you, God. We lay ourselves at your feet and say you can do anything that you want with us. 
Take us and use us for your glory. Anything you need, Father, you let me know. Anything you need, Father, please. If there are those that are willing here in this room tonight, please let them know. Lord, let their ears be hearkened and inclined to you. And please speak to them, Father, and let them know. We're here to serve you. You are our king. We love you, Lord. Please bless the people. Please help them, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Love you, family. Um, hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? Done all the things that he said he would. Hasn't the Lord been good? So love God, hate sin, reckon the old man dead. And love God, hate sin, and by the Spirit be led. Oh, hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? Done all the things that he said he would. Hasn't the Lord been good? So love God, hate sin, reckon the old man dead. And love God, hate sin. Just just one more time, come on. You ready? Oh, hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? Done all the things that he said he would. Hasn't the Lord been good? And so love God, hate sin, reckon the old man dead. And love God, hate sin, and by the Spirit be led. Amen. Amen. Amen.